Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. What a blessing it is that we can be gathered here once again to worship our holy God. A hearty welcome to all those here present, as well as those who are, have, who are joining us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And may it also cause us to live our lives in thankfulness to him. Consistory has the following announcements. Uh, there will be a general con- congregational meeting tomorrow evening beginning at 8 o'clock. And Reverend Poppy will once again be leading this afternoon's worship service. Before we begin, let's sing from hymn 80, verses 1 and 6. sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 62, the verses 1 and 4.
Let's now make a confession of our faith, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as it's set to music in hymn two. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear Father in heaven, come before you, Lord, and we we honor you. 
We just sung together the, the creed. I mean, generations of people, thousands of people, millions of people over thousands of years who have used these words in order to confess their faith in you. You are our Father. You created all things and you rule all things. You sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into this world and he bore our curse. He suffered and died. He was crucified. He was buried. And he took the, the payment, the curse. He made the payment. He took the curse upon himself and he restored us to you. And after that, he rose to life and he ascended into heaven and he's seated at your right hand with glory and honor. We believe that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he rules over all things, that he has the power to gather his church. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, that you send down your spirit into our hearts to make us alive to you. Through the spirit, Lord, you, you help us to understand who you are and what you've done. You help us to, to live and to grow in a relationship with you. And it says, your spirit lives in us, that we become new people. We pray, Lord, that you would continue this work in us. We ask that you would help us to seek to please you. We pray, Lord, that you work in our hearts, that we take up our cross and follow our Lord Jesus. Sometimes that means difficult things for us. We ask that you give us the willingness to make the sacrifices we need to for your sake. And then we also pray, Lord, that the fruit of your spirit would be manifest in our lives, that we would be those who live a life where there's a lot of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, we thank you that you have the power to make that happen. We ask you that it may be a reality in our lives. Thank you also for bringing us here together again this afternoon, Lord. We're here to hear the preaching of the gospel. Thank you for the power of your word. We also pray, Lord, that, that our hearts may be good soil. When the seed of your word is planted in us, we ask that it may produce fruit, and that it may, may lead to a yield, maybe 30, maybe 60, maybe 100 times what was first planted. Lord, please give us great faith in you. And please gather us into your kingdom. Please forgive us for all our sins. And hear us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this afternoon, brothers and sisters, I may preach God's word to you as we find that in Ephesians 6. There's a calling here for employees, for slaves, that we respect those who are over us. And also for, for masters, for employers, that we take good care of those who are working for us. In connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of Scripture, actually three, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 3, and from James 5. So the first passage we're going to read together, 1 Thessalonians 4, I'm just going to read a few verses, the verses 9 to 12. You can find that on page 1173 of your guest Bible. One Thessalonians chapter four, starting at verse nine. Your God's word says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Then if you turn a few pages further in your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In 2 Thessalonians 3, we'll start reading at verse 6 there. So God's word says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And then the final passage we read together is going to be from the book of James. So 20 pages ahead, 25 pages ahead, you come to the book of James. In James chapter 5, we're going to read the first six, verse, six verses there. So page 1201. James 5, starting at verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. That's as far as we're going to read today. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 127. It's a psalm in which the Lord teaches us that we need to rely upon him for a blessing over all our work. Psalm 127, the verses 1 and 2.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from the next verses in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, the verses 5 through 9. Let's read those verses together. Ephesians 6, we're going to start reading at verse 5, page 1163. There God's word says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Then after the preaching, we're going to sing together from... Hymn 78, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus, you know, you could ask the question, so what? You've been chosen in Christ, you've been saved by grace, you've been made alive through the Holy Spirit, you've been promised an eternal inheritance. Well, so what? What difference is that going to make in your life? It's a question that the Apostle Paul has been answering in the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. After telling us how rich we are in Christ, then he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Then he tells you what that means. He says, in the first place, since God has done this for you, the most important thing is that you be completely humble and gentle, that you pursue unity with your brothers and sisters and with other people around you. Then the next verse is he says, since God has saved you in Christ, he calls you to flee from sin, put to death the sinful desires. Then he works that out in the following chapters, in the rest of chapter 4 and 5, and he says, I want you to flee from sin. That means no lying, no stealing, no sexual immorality, no greed, no filthy language, no drunkenness. Then he works it out in the rest of chapter 5. He says, if you've been made, a, made alive in Christ, that means you're going to have beautiful relationships in your marriage. Husbands are going to love their wives, and wives are going to submit to their husbands. There's also going to be peace in your homes. Parents are going to love their children and bring them up in the training of the Lord. And children are going to submit to their parents and follow their good instruction. Another way that God says to you that he wants you to show your gratitude for the riches of his grace is he says, I want you to do your work faithfully. The biggest part of your day is spent doing your task. You're a student, you're a mother, you're an accountant, you're a cabinet maker, you're a businessman. Eight hours a day, whatever the case may be, you're busy working at your day job. 
And God says, one of the great ways in which you can show me how much you love me, you can show me that you're really grateful to me for what I've done for you, is by being faithful in the task that I've given you. You know, in the end, for us as Christians, the way we approach our work is going to be very different from those who don't know Christ. And so I've summarized our text with this theme, work for the Lord with all your heart. We're going to see in the first place God's calling for employees, and then secondly, for employers. So our text starts off here. It says here in in the first verse, in the, sorry, the first verse of our text, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you'd obey Christ. This word bond servants can be translated as slaves. The cultural context here in which Paul is preaching is that he's preaching this to the Ephesians, and in Ephesus, we're probably in the, around 50 years, 50, 60 years after Christ was born. In Ephesus during this time, there was a great deal of slavery. That was a huge part of the the institution and the normal fabric of society during that time. Just to understand what he's saying here, maybe it's helpful just to to paint the picture for you. You Back in ancient Rome, back in ancient Ephesus, there was an enormous amount of, of class difference between the classes. Society was highly structured. You had some people who were upper class, you had other people who were lower class, you had some people who were at the very bottom of the rung as being slaves. It's really quite interesting. There's a Roman author, his name is Cicero. Cicero, some people say, he tells us about the attitudes about the people of that time. Well, I'll just give you just a bit of flavor. He says that if you're a tax collector, or if you're involved in usury, banking, then he says that's vulgar. Because a lot of people hate you, and that's just not a good profession to be in. He also said, if you're involved in any kind of manual labor, the general sentiment of the time is is that's also really vulgar. Everybody looked down on those who had to labor with their hands. It was almost as if you were a slave. He said, retail merchants were also vulgar. They couldn't make a profit without lying a lot. I guess back then, the only way that you, you sell something is by being deceitful. He also said, there's nothing genteel about being a craftsman or an artisan. And he says, the worst was anyone who is employed in the sensual, giving sensual pleasures. Now, it's not to say that that everyone had this attitude. Especially the the artisans and the craftsmen, they had a really high regard for themselves. And so the average working man who, you know, who had a craft, he was a goldsmith or he was a carpenter, he had a great deal of respect for himself. And among the, among the people, they had a great deal of respect for, for those who were doing these jobs. Well, it was during that time, they also had the upper classes. Those who didn't have to work, they were, they were part of these upper classes. And typically what they would do is, is they would be involved in public service. So maybe you'd be a magistrate. You'd be on jury duty. Maybe you'd be a priest. Maybe you... You're also serving in, in one of these other roles, legal counsel, Senate membership. Well, these people, they really looked down on everyone else. They thought that they were superior than the working classes. But on top of that, you also had some extremely wealthy people. You could become a part of the equestrian or the senatorial rank. And these were the elite, the upper of the upper classes. 
A lot of these people were extremely wealthy. Back then they thought the best way of being a, a gentleman was to own land. And you had a lot of servants who were working for you. And in that case, you could volunteer your services for the government to you serving government, you do it free of charge. The government actually never paid anybody for any of the work that they did. And if you were in one of these upper roles, in the upper class, then oftentimes you had to use your money in order to support and to help the people of the lower classes. So a lot of people would come literally every day, they would come knock on your door, and you would give as a patron, you'd give a little bit of money to all the poor people who would come to you, and maybe election time, they turn around, they'd elect you into the Senate. Well, then underneath all that, you had the slaves. And if you were a slave, then life was rough. Anyone could own slave. The city actually owned a number of slaves for any building projects or maintenance. It was usually done through slave labor. It's not uncommon that some families had slaves. If you were if you had a bit of money, then maybe you bought yourself a slave and you had someone to help out in your house. Most landowners had many slaves. They were used as nurses or teachers or tutors or secretaries, as cooks or gardeners, as dishwashers or house cleaners, as hairdressers or laundry women, as seamstress. You name it, they worked in every, every part of life. Well, in Rome or in Ephesus, you know, the majority of the population at times were slaves. Especially later in the empire, Rome would conquer all sorts of other nations. But whenever they conquered someone, they'd take back slaves. And oftentimes, these slaves were the lowest of the low. They were foreigners. They were looked down on. They were used for menial labor. Well, among the slaves, there was also this hierarchy. If you're a household slave, it was best. Sometimes you got a little income from your employer. He would give you a small wage. And then over the years, some people actually saved that up and they were able to buy their freedom at some time. If you, if you weren't careful, one of the threats that they often used against you is that if you didn't behave, then they would send you to the farm. And if you're a farm slave, then it was really quite brutal. The only way that, that they looked at you is as if you were kind of like an animal. What can, the, what can the owner get from you? And then the very worst with slaves working in the mines. Typically, those people didn't live long. A year, a couple of years, they were brutally treated, and they often died. Well, that's the context within which Paul is preaching here. You know, if you were a household slave during this time, then it's not as if you were necessarily well-treated. You know, your services were... They were valued, and sometimes you could even get a high position. But you were still regarded far lower than anybody else. And it was not uncommon that, you know, that men would sleep with their slaves. It was not uncommon that people were cruel. Some men were even sadistic in treat their treatment of slaves. You can imagine the tension that exists in a house. If a man is sleeping together with a slave girl, then his wife is not very happy with that slave. And so often... She also copped it from the woman. And so there you have a really brutal kind of situation that many people were caught in. But what does Paul say? He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. You have to obey. You have to submit. 
You have to serve. You have to do it, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Not with a cold, detached kind of service. Rather, obey them with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. You have to hold them in respect. Fear and trembling, that's the the word of having great awe, great respect, great consideration for those who are over you. And then Paul says, you have to serve your masters, not in the first way, in the first place, as seeking to win the approval of the master, but rather as seeking to win the approval of their Lord. Really what God's saying here is he's saying, when you're a slave, he says, in the first place, you're not serving your master, but he says, in the first place, you're serving me. And so I call you to to be faithful in your task, wherever that may be, whatever it may be, be faithful in your task, and realize that whatever you do, you do it for me. Well, thankfully today, brothers and sisters, we don't have the institution of slavery. I'm really grateful that there is that there is this sense in our society that everyone is a human being created in the image of God. And because we're made in God's image, we're all valuable. And we ought to respect one another and hold each other in high regard. That's really quite a, an enormous blessing that we've received within the culture. It's part of the legacy that we have of being in what used to be a Christian culture. And yet the, the principle of the text here stands for us today as it did for those of old. The core calling of our text here is that God says we need to be faithful in doing the task that the Lord entrusts to us. And if you, if you think about that, brothers and sisters, then you realize this is not a new idea. This is something that, that God has always called us to this. It's something from day one. He said, I, I want you to serve me and I want you to be faithful in doing that. When God first made man, Genesis 1 verse 26 And he blesses him and he says to him, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over all the rest of my creation. So the very first thing he says is he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it and to rule over it. And as soon as he creates Adam, then he puts him in a garden. And the very next thing he says to him is he says, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to look after it. And so even in paradise, before the fall into sin, there is this calling to work. I give you a task, and I call you to be faithful in doing that task. And that's a calling that, that continues throughout the rest of the scriptures. If you think of Proverbs 6, the Lord admonishes a sluggard there. He commands us to be diligent in our task. Or in 1 Thessalonians 4, we just read together a few verses. Paul encourages the Thessalonians to aspire to live quietly to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and may be dependent upon no one. Work faithfully, work quietly in the daily tasks that you've been given. And God gives two reasons. He says in the first place that you you act rightly towards outsiders. And then secondly, you're dependent upon no one. And apparently this was quite an issue for the people living in Thessalonica at the time. And so Paul comes back to it in the second letter. We're not exactly sure, but it seems that some of these people thought that Jesus Christ was coming back soon. And since he's coming back, well, then we can just sit back and relax and we can wait until he returns. And Paul says, never mind. He says, you step up and you be faithful in your task and you do your job. 
And so in 2 Thessalonians 3, we read a few verses there. Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. What's that tradition? Well, Paul says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we are with you, we give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear there are some among you who walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. I had a gentleman one day, traveling through our town, northern BC. He asked, called me up and he asked for some money. So I stopped by and met up with him and gave him some money. He was traveling through to, to another place. Well, six months later, he called me up again. In the meantime, I heard from all the other pastors in town that the first time he'd been through, he called up all the pastors and he asked everybody for money. So the second time he came through, then I asked him the question. I says, well, you know, I, I says, we love to help and we love to do whatever we can. But I says, are you, you know, do you have a job and are you working? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. My grandmother always says that. He who, shall not, who does not work shall not eat. And he's quoting this verse. He who doesn't work shall not eat. I was able to encourage him. So that's a core calling of the scriptures. We have to be faithful in our task. And so I asked him, are you faithful? Well, he, he had to think about that. It's a real calling for us, brothers and sisters. The Lord says, if you're not faithful in working, you shouldn't eat. Don't be idle. Don't be a busybody. But do the regular tasks that you've been given. It's a beautiful way in which you can give a testimony that you're a child of God, that you recognize who God is, and that you thank God for the gifts of grace that he's given to you. The Apostle Paul, he gets back to in Ephesians 4, verse 25. A couple of weeks ago, we just kind of referred to that very briefly. There he commands people to steal no longer, but to do something useful with their own hands, that they may also have something to share with those in need. It's a calling for us today as well, brothers and sisters. God says, I want you to work. And he says, not in eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God. There's some people, when the boss is around, they're given it 100%, 110%. But as soon as the boss leaves, then they start slacking off. And they're not really into their job. The Lord warns against that. He says in verse 7, that we are to render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. You are to serve the Lord. You are to remember that you will receive back from the Lord according to what you do. Would you ever think about that? Some people in our society, they, they take it pretty easy when it comes to work. It's a necessary evil. I owe money, so I need to go off and get a job and do what I have to do. 
The best job is the job where you get the most money for the least pay. They live for the weekend. They can't wait to retire. The Lord's saying that's not a, that's not a godly perspective. He says work is one of the ways in which you can serve me. It's a way in which you can show me that you're grateful to me for the gifts that I've given. And be faithful in that. Just do the, the task that you've been given to do. Especially if I can speak to the young people or the younger people. Think about the, the millennials. Think about Gen Z. If you talk to the employers, they try to hire someone who's, who's been born in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s. Sometimes they'll say to you that these young people, they're far more interested in what they can get than what they can give. It's all about them. Sometimes they'll even say that to their employers. So, so what do you have to offer me? What will you give me? And then when they're working, it's really easy to be distracted by all sorts of different things. You know, they're always on their phone. Sometimes they get to a stage where they complain a lot about different things. They wish things were, were different. And at the same time, they put very little effort into the work that they do. It's not only the young people. It's our whole society. It's something that leaks into our thinking. And the Lord says, he says, I want you to remember that you work for me. It's not for your employer. It's for me in the first place. And so I call you to be faithful in the task that you do for me. And I want you to remember that I will render to you according to what you have done. And then for you students, for you boys and girls, something to, to keep in mind as well. You know, when you do your schoolwork, it's also work for the Lord. You're not just working for your dad, for your mom, to keep them off your back. You're not just working for your teacher, but you're really working for the Lord. You get to honor the Lord in the schoolwork that you do. Often it takes a lot of effort. To do well at school is hard work. And that's the calling. The Lord says, put your shoulder to the work and make it happen. And if you do it, if you give yourself to the work, then often it's a real joy. That it's not a real struggle, and it's not a really difficult thing, but you can get to this space where, where you love the task that you have. You ask Christ for help, and you do it for Christ, and it becomes a really beautiful thing. Just like us as, as adults, if we, if we love the task that we do, if we do it for the Lord, if we seek to do our best at what, what we've been given to do, then many times that becomes a very beautiful thing. And then God, he talks about the consequences. If you're slack then he's going to give according to what you've done, or if you're faithful, then he's going to give you according to what you've done. If you think real life, if you're an employer and you have an employee who's really slacking off, then when there's a recession, that's the first person who gets let go. Now, if you're always slacking off, you're not going to get responsibility. You're not going to receive a higher position in the company. If you're always distracting other employees, or if you're always complaining, if you create a negative attitude, if you never have enough holidays, then the boss is, you're going to be the very first person that the boss lets go. And the flip side is true as well. If you're faithful in your task, then the Lord will bless you. Then things will go well for you. If you always try to, to help to see how you can make things run better, or if you take responsibility for things, if you encourage the other employees, if you're engaged in what you do, there's always more work. There's always more responsibility. And you end up in this space where, where the Lord loves to bless and good things happen. 
In the scriptures, it talks about it in Proverbs, or it talks about the two contrasts. In Proverbs 12, verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to, to forced labor. Or Proverbs 19, verse 15, slothfulness casts into deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. That's very different for someone who works faithfully. It says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. You're diligent, you're skillful. You're going to rise through the ranks. You're going to work. You're going to live, work in the, in the management of a company. You're going to end up working for those in government. And then we should also understand the blessing here that God talks about. It's not only blessing here and now. It's in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Christ tells us that whoever is faithful over little will receive little. Whoever is faithful over much will receive much. When the man with five talents brought five more, then his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Sorry, I got that wrong the first time. If you're faithless over little, then what you have is taken away. But if you're faithful over little, then you will receive much. And so God promises eternal rewards for those who are faithful in doing their task. Well, if you think about it, brothers and sisters, it's easy to do, to be faithful, to work hard, if you have a good employer. Someone who is himself hardworking, someone who's fair, someone who's willing to compensate you for the work that you do. But you know, not every employer is wise. Not every employer is considerate. Some people are, are selfish, and some people are rather harsh. It's really quite interesting. In, in Paul's days, it was even worse than that. He's addressing masters and slaves. And you had some masters who were downright cruel and who were even sadistic. Well, it's in that context that Paul says that he expects those who are slaves to still submit to those who are over them. And in our society, we have a functional view of authority. If somebody uses the authority well, then we'll submit to him. But if he doesn't use it well, then there's no way that I'm ever going to do what he tells me to do. Well, the Lord teaches us something different. 1 Peter 2.13, God tells us he wants us to subject ourselves to the governing authorities. And then a little later in 1 Peter 2 verse 18, he works that out in the master-slave relationship. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God's saying, if you're a slave, he's saying, I want you slaves to submit to your masters, not only to the good ones, but even to the harsh ones. And he says, if you do that, he says, this is a good thing. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He says, I see that, and I will bless you for it. 
We have to be very clear in our minds. That doesn't mean that God excuses people who exploit others. The Lord says their day is coming. He will deal with them. It's actually in verse 9, our text continues. He says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Well, slave is a property of his master. I think Paul says here to masters, he says, Masters, do the same to them. And the first calling he had of slaves is he says, Treat your masters with fear and trembling. And so he's saying, just as slaves treat their masters, so masters have to treat their slaves. They have to show respect to their slaves. And why? Because the Lord is their God. And because there's no partiality with the Lord. There's a foundational calling here for masters, and the same extent to employees, that you treat those who work for you with respect. That you take good care of them. That you deal in good faith with those who are under you. Maybe if I can ask you, businessmen, other employers, those who manage others, you know, can you say that's true for you? Do, you? do you treat the people under you with utmost respect? You recognize that in that position, you're also a representative of God. Authority comes from God and it's given to you. And one day God is going to hold you account for how you use that authority. Did you use it in service of the people under you? Now God says if you misuse the authority, then one day he's going to punish you. There's no favoritism with him. You know, in some sense, you think about that, you think it's got to be a difficult place to be an employer. Because when you're an employer, you're always the one who's calling the shots. You set the tone. You tell everybody what to do. It's really easy for you to become proud and to look down on other people. Well, the truth is that one day God's going to hold everyone to account. And then James 5, God says, if you have mistreated the people under you, And he says, you need to weep and wail because he's going to exercise his judgment against you. He says, the wages that they fail to pay the workers cry out to the Lord Almighty. And God says that their day of slaughter is coming. Pretty graphic. He's going to slaughter people for abusing, for mistreating those who are under them. It was a stern warning for those who are employers. Those are responsibility for the care of others. You need to be fair. You need to be just. You need to be honest in your dealings with those under you. When you think about it, brothers and sisters, it's really quite humbling. Now, so often we are selfish. We're in it for ourselves. It's true as employees. It's true as employers. And we need the Lord. We need God to help us. Now, God's intention for us is that work is a blessing for us. He gave Adam this position back in paradise to tend the garden and to look after it. And he he intends our work to be work done that's done in the Spirit and through the Spirit, that we receive strength from him and that we work for him. 
And if you work with that spirit, if you're, you're working for God, if you receive what you have from Him and if you do it for Him, then work doesn't have to be this frustrating thing. It doesn't have to be this difficult thing. It doesn't have to be this thing that causes so much tension in your life. That's part of the curse of sin. Man sinned and God said, He says, I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to hit you where it hurts. It's because of your sin that in, in pain you're going to do your, your work. In the sweat of your brow, there's going to be thorns and thistles. And the daily work that you do is going to be a difficult thing for you. Well, as those who are redeemed in Christ, God says, I can make it different for you. If you live by the Spirit and if you live for me, I can make your work a very different experience. It doesn't have to be this painful thing. You can live as those who are redeemed. You can, you can ask me for my help and I'll help you. And then you can serve me in what you do and I will bless you. And then things will go well for you and your work it will be a foretaste of the eternal joy that you have in heaven. Now the picture is that one day we're going to go into heaven. It's not only going to be about sitting on clouds and strumming harps and singing praises, but it's going to be a life of, of service with God, a life before God. He makes each one of us different, and he gives different abilities. And when we get to the new heaven and earth, then whoever we are, whatever we have, we're going to use that in service of his name. And what does that look like? We don't, we don't know. We don't have a, an idea at all today what that's really going to be. But you can be sure that who you are and what you have, God says many times in his word, he says, you're going to bring that with you into the new heaven and earth. And then you're going to use that in the service of his name. If you're faithful over little, then he will set you over much. You'll be able to serve him faithfully with what, he's, what you've been given. Well, then you realize how much we need a savior, brothers and sisters. We need Christ to help us, to recreate us, to make us into new people to save us from our selfishness, from our laziness, to make us into those who love him and who want to serve him and who do it for him. That was the life that the Lord Jesus lived. He said to his father, Psalm 40, he says, I've come to do your will. I'm devoted to doing your will. I'm going to do my work and I'm going to do it faithfully and I'm going to do it for you. Now as our savior, he says, I can help you with that. I can give you my spirit and I can equip and enable you so that's your work. It's not a, a great difficulty and a great frustration, but it can become a great joy. It can become a great way in which you can serve me. And so let's rely upon that spirit. Let's go and do our task. Let's do it in the strength of the Lord and for his glory. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 78, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this afternoon, we'll also remember our sister Marlene Jensen. She's being admitted to the hospital, so we'll ask God for a blessing over her care. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are our Redeemer. We are those who have sinned against you. One of the ways you cursed us because of our sin is that you said that it's through painful toil that the land will produce food for us. You said it's by the sweat of our brow that we will, that we will eat food and, and that there would be thorns and thistles. You really cursed us in our work. And Father, we experience that often on a daily basis. There's still ways in which our work is difficult and frustrating. There's often a lot of striving and, and stress in the work that we do. And Father, we, we especially experience that when we have a sinful attitude towards our work. If we're selfish, if we're lazy, if we're domineering, if we're manipulative, many times we, we experience a lot of hardship also in the work that we do. Father, we confess to you our sins, that we have sinned in this regard. We want to ask you for your forgiveness for that. We live in a world that's purely self-interested, a world that doesn't know you and doesn't serve you. And in many ways, the attitudes of the world around us, they've also affected us. Sometimes we also have become like our world. We seek to, to get money. We want to do it in the quickest way possible to get as much money as possible. We, want to, we look forward to the day when we don't have to work anymore. We see work as a necessary evil to get us where we need to go. And yet, Lord, you, you give us a different perspective. You teach us that, that we can serve you in what we do. We pray, Lord, that you help us to adopt that perspective. Help us to be faithful in our task. Help us to also do it joyfully, not just for, for the employer, but especially for you, that we know you and that we love you, that we seek to serve you in what we do. We also pray that you, you help the employers among us, that they may be fair in their dealings with their employees. Help them to respect their employees as fellow human beings created in your image and help them to be just in treating them well. Father, thank you that you tell us that you are our judge, that the work that we do in secret for you is something that, that will be seen by you and that you will take it in heart and you will deal with us according to what we have done. We also pray that you will be merciful for the many times that we've been faithless in our tasks. And then, Lord, we, we also pray that you would please be near to those who, who suffer in the task that they do. There are some people who have employers who are, who are harsh and inconsiderate. We ask, Lord, that you please rescue your people who are in that place. Please listen to them when they cry out to you. Please strengthen them that they may yet be faithful in the task that they have. We're so thankful we live in a society where we're able to, to quit our job and start working for another employer. And we, we pray, Lord, that you help us, that we can, we can live in such a way that we, that we honor you. There are some people who don't have that luxury. Sometimes there are people who are really poor. There are immigrants. There are those who are sponsored on a visa or something else, and they have no choice but to work for an employer. And, and there are times where their employer exploits them and takes advantage of them. We pray that that may never be us, that we never act in those ways. We ask that you help us to, to live in a way that honors you. Father, thank you that you also tell us that you will help us with this. 
We look forward to the day where we get to serve you in a new heaven and earth where there is no more sin. You promised us, Lord, that at that time there will be rest. There will be no more striving and straining. The curse of sin will be totally taken away from us. We look forward to a time where we live with you and where we serve you faithfully in the, with the gifts we have and where that's a pure joy for us and that's great joy for you. Father, please give us that sense already today and please bless our work to that end. We ask that you also give us the money that we need so that we can provide for ourselves and our families and that we also have something to share with those in need. Dear Father in heaven, we also want to ask that you would bless the people who, who have difficulties in their, in their jobs, being some people who have had a lot of strain and difficulty and stress in their, their jobs, some people who, who have lost jobs, please be near to them. Pray for the, for the business among us, that they may have the business that they need, that they're able to, to conduct the business that's necessary, that they have the employees and, and they have everything that's needed. We pray for your blessing over it, that it may go well. We thank you that, that you are our Father and that you provide for us. We live in a country where there's so much peace and stability. We live in a time where we're so wealthy. Every one of us has food on the table. We have shelter and clothing. We have everything we could possibly need. We acknowledge it all comes from you. We wish to honor you for that and thank you for it. Help us to be truly grateful for all your good gifts. Pray also, Lord, that you take care of, of those who, who need you in special ways. Think this afternoon of our sister Marlene Jansen. Please give her peace of mind, Lord. Please bless her when she's in the hospital, that they're able to help her with that. Please be a father to her and surround her with your love and care. I also pray that you would take care of, of the rest of your people. There's others who, who struggle in different ways. It's not always obvious. We pray that you, you provide. Please give healing to the sick. Please give relief to those who are in pain. Please grant that there may be restoration for those who have broken relationships. Please grant that, that there may be joy in family life. Please grant that relationship between parents and children may be healthy and wholesome. Please grant that, that as a community of the saints, that there may be love and unity. But you are the one who gives it. We ask you for it. Also pray, Lord, that you give us a spirit of hospitality in our dealings with one another. Grant that we may love each other from the heart. An important part of that is getting to know each other. Help us to open our homes to each other, to have others over for coffee or for lunch, for dinner, for a meal. Grant that we're able to, to share our hearts with each other and to encourage us in the, in the walk of faith. Lord, we pray also that you please bless the, the work of mission. We're grateful that, that two of the brothers we prayed for last week could pass their ordination exams. One brother is ordained, going to be ordained as a pastor and the other brother as a candidate pastor. Please be near to them in their work, Lord, and bless them in the tasks that they do. I also ask that you, you be with the, the third brother who, who did not pass. We, we ask, Lord, that you would be near to him as well, and that you, you bless the, the further help that he receives. Father, please bless the mission work that's being done. Please grant that, that you would build up your churches in Papua New Guinea, that your people may grow in the knowledge of who you are and what you've done for them, that they may love you, and that they may serve you faithfully. I also want to pray, Father, for blessing over the, the collection that we're about to have. I want to ask that you bless the, the churches in South Africa. There's also some churches there that are needy. We're grateful that we can support our brothers and sisters in that part of the world. But we want to ask for your help for them. There's so many people in South Africa who, who live in difficult situation. There's a lot of security concerns. 
And it's also difficult in society. There's sometimes there's a lot of, of tension and hardship between different peoples in society. But we want to ask for your blessing over your church. Please grant that you would look after your people, that they may look to you in faith. Please hear them when they call upon you. Please give them safety and security. Please bless them, that they may have what they need in, in a life of, of faithful and peaceful service before you. We also pray, Lord, that you would please grant that there may be ministers to preach the gospel. And please grant that they may receive the support that they need so that the message of the good news may go out. We're grateful that we can participate in this work, and we pray for your blessing upon it. Father, thank you for, for everything that you've given us. Thank you for a beautiful Sunday. Please bless us in the work that we do this week, and please hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you indeed have the opportunity to thank God for the blessings that he's given to you. The collection this afternoon is for the, for the South African needy churches. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 83, verses 1 and 2.
Receive now, now the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.